morning. John 18, Jesus is standing on trial before the governor, Pilate. The crowds are crying, crucify, crucify. Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. After some back and forth, Jesus says this. I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asks that question, what is truth? 2,000 years have passed, that question is still as important as ever. What is truth? That ought to matter to us because Jesus says right here, whoever is on the side of truth listens to me. And another place in John 4, Jesus would say, if you're going to worship God, you must worship him in spirit and truth. You can't worship God if you don't worship him in truth. Jesus would say, I am the truth, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the question stands, what is truth? What do you think? This ought to matter to us because we live in a post-truth world. The Oxford Dictionaries in 2016 proclaimed that, the word of the year, post-truth. So much is weighing on this question. What do you think? What is truth? George Barner research just last year revealed that 58% of Americans don't believe there is such thing as a moral truth, absolute truth. Even more shocking to me in churchgoers revealed people that go to church, 44% reject absolute truth. Think about that. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus says, If you worship God, you must worship him in spirit and truth. And yet 44% of people who are attending church today don't believe in truth. How can you worship Jesus if you don't believe in truth? Pilate's question is asked by everybody around us, by media that truth checks politicians, by teenagers that resist biblical wisdom. Come on, it's the 21st century. Is the question being asked by juries in courtrooms? Does truth matter or just experience, just the narrative? Is the question being asked by historians? Is there such a thing as real history or is history just what the victors say it is? It's being asked by school teachers. What's the truth about authority over children? Parents have authority or does the state have authority? What is the truth? Is the question being asked by young children today. Now, I hate to be a complete downer. You say, Brett, you're on a roll. (laughs) You may remember the movie Frozen. If you do, you will never forget that song, Let It Go. Elsa sings, let it go, let it go, can't hold back anymore. Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. And then later she sings, it's time to see what I can do. Test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now Jesus says, I am the truth. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And yet how many children whose parents are in church today are being indoctrinated, singing, the brainwashing language of no right, no wrong, no rules for me, that's freedom. What do you think? 
It's the question being asked by everybody who asks, what does it mean to be a man, a woman? What is marriage? Sometimes people ask, well, why does that matter to you? 1 Corinthians 13, God describes love. And one of the things he says in verse 6 is, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. If you love, you can find no joy in a wrong definition of man or woman or marriage. That's not loving. The loving thing is the righteous definition. You see, <laughs> it's the question being asked by preachers these days who are under increased pressure to conform to socially acceptable standards. And Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everybody on the side of truth listens to my voice. This needs to matter to each of us because Proverbs 23 verse 7 reminds us that as a person thinks to himself, so is he. So today we continue our series of messages on truth matters. I want to recommend for you a book that we make available today for sale at cost by Elisa Childers. She this book really kind of inspired me to, to do this series. The book's called um, uh, Living Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. It is not a difficult book to read, and it's not just kind of ethereal philosophy. It's just very practical stuff. But today I want to ask the question, how do we lose our way? Malcolm Muggeridge once said, people do not believe lies because they have to, but because they want to. Why is it that people want to believe? Why is it that 44% of people that go to church want to believe the lie that there is no moral truth? We find our answers in the first three chapters. We're at least going to find the answers today looking at the first three chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Speak to us today, um, Lord, nobody, uh, nothing good is going to happen except that you work, and so I pray that you would be honored and that you would work and you would change, change hearts. Through Christ I pray, amen. Why does this whole thing matter? Because truth matters. The definition of truth, let's start there. Truth is what conforms to reality. Truth is what conforms to reality. It matters because Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the, the world, he created it. He created it with laws. It reflects his reality. And so we look at the world and we have the laws of the universe, the laws of nature, the laws of of, of physics and of science and of math, a law of gravity. And he also created moral laws. And the result is that whatever lives consistently with reality is not just true, but it works. It's proven true or false by the testing of reality, right? We know that's true with physical laws. I have a friend who, when he was a young boy, now he became brilliant and he's a college professor, but when he was a little boy, he watched Mary Poppins for the first time. He had a wild imagination, and you know, Mary Poppins could fly because she had an umbrella. And so he thought, 
I can fly if I have an umbrella. And so he took his umbrella and went outside, went to the top of, his, of, 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 of their garage and jumped off. Now, at that moment, it didn't matter what his personal truth was. At that moment, what really mattered was, what's the truth of the law of gravity? Because the thing about reality is, it, is a, it has a nasty way of proving illusions wrong. Truth is what conforms to reality. Dallas Willard said, oh, and by the way, and that's true then morally as well. Remember what Jesus said Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then what did he say? All the law and the prophets are wrapped up in these. And just as the physical laws complying to the laws of math and science and physics allows us to live consistently with reality for life to be better, so living consistently with God's moral laws allows us to love him and to love others best. Dallas Willard, USC professor, said there are four great questions every human being must answer in order to live well. Every philosophy, every religion, every system must answer these questions. And the first and most important is what is real? What can I count on? But today our world says no one knows for sure. But he remarks, philosophy professor, yes, he, he, he remarks, he says, so as, as a result of that, people will say things like, don't impose your morals on me. Don't impose your values on me. Don't impose your beliefs on me. But he said, isn't it kind of remarkable? Nobody ever says, don't impose your math on me. Don't impose your chemistry on me. You know, don't impose your physics on me. Why? Because people believe that there is a physical universe, a physical reality, and things like math and science, if those physical can be tested by reality if they're right or wrong. But when it comes to moral things, they think, no, that's, those are all just socially constructed. Moral claims can't be proven right or wrong. And yet into this world, Jesus says, I am the truth. Whoever listens to me listens to truth. And the Old Testament begins, in the beginning, God. See, that's the place it begins. Is it in the beginning, humans? In the beginning, us? We determine reality? Or in the beginning, God? See, <laughs> here's why Truth matters so much to Christians. It's not just ethereal claptrap. Truth is a reflection, reality is the reflection of the character of God. Jesus says, I am the truth. Truth is not just nebulous, you know, created something imposed upon us. To live consistently with reality is to live consistently with God. To contravene reality is to resist God. That's what the Bible says in, in Psalm 14. One, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You gotta be a fool to say there is no such thing as reality. To think that you can live inconsistently and not be affected by it. See, anybody can make truth claims. Cigarettes used to claim. Smoke cigarettes and We'll keep you from coughing. We'll protect your throat. Um, some people used to claim that Vincent Van Gogh was Jack the Ripper. Some people claim that Bigfoots, the Bigfoot, Bigfoots? The Bigfoot is an alien species from another planet. 
I had a friend when I was in college, knew a guy when I was in college, shouldn't say friend, knew a guy when I was in college that from time to time would introduce himself to people by saying, oh, you know, my, my name is Barry Uli and my dad's the governor. And I'd go, first time I heard him say that, he said, your dad's really the governor? He says, no, I just like to tell people that. It's just like... <laughs> Anybody can make truth claims, but ultimately those truth claims are tested by reality. That's why, God, that's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. The reaping may be immediate, but usually it's not. Usually it's delayed. But reality has a pesky way of winning over illusions. And when, when, when illusions strike reality, that's called pain. Crisis trouble and ultimately we look at ourselves and we say fool jesus tells a parable about this tells many but one for instance is of this farmer who lived all his life as though god didn't matter but there was this one harvest that he just had this great influx of cash but he didn't live consistently with reality he didn't say oh god thank you for how good you are god what would you like me to do with this he lived as though there is no god as though he is truth and so he was like i know what i'll do i'll build bigger barns and i'll lay up cat i'll have a great retirement and then i'll be able to take it easy i'll have a great plan for the future and then that night jesus says he died and god wrote one word on his tombstone and the word was fool you fool you denied reality and were exposed Dallas Willard calls an illusion a mistake about reality eventually when people are mistaken about reality it leads to crisis and pain call it death call it sin the bible says sin leads to death whatever it is it leads anybody to the place everybody to the place where they say i was a fool it may happen immediately it usually doesn't it may not happen until you die see truth matters so much to christians because in the beginning god and because we really do love people we love people too much to just say what they want to hear for the life of me, I would love to say, live however you want. I really don't care how you live. As long as you're happy and you don't hurt somebody else, live however you want. Make yourself happy. But the Bible says that's short-sighted and unloving and foolish. Because we all reap what we sow. And if what we believe is conformed with reality, it leads to love and joy and peace and purpose and right relationships with God and right relationships with people. But if we believe an illusion one day, we will say to ourselves, I was a fool. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Truth conforms to the character of God. The character of God defines reality. So how do we get off track? Michael Muggeridge said people don't believe lies because they have to, but because they want to. See, I, I already received a message from somebody first service saying there are going to be people who leave the church over this message because people want to believe lies. It tells us why people believe lies in the first book of the Bible. 
God creates the world according to truth, and then he gives truth to live by to Adam and Eve. Chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He gets more specific in the second chapter, verse 15. He says, it says, the Lord God took man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. And then God gave Adam a wife and told him to be faithful. Verse 24, this is why a man will leave his father and mother and be bound to his wife and they will become one flesh. Now, why does God give those commands? Are they just arbitrary? No, because God is love and he wants them to have freedom. He knows how reality works in relationships. And so he's giving them direction so they can be free and really love. Verse 25 says, both the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Perfect peace. Perfect freedom, free from guilt. They never sinned, free to love and to trust. They never questioned each other's faithfulness, free from death. They had the food from the tree of life, free from shame. They weren't Cleveland Browns fans. Um, it's, I mean, no shame there. Picture two trees that look exactly the same. One is deeply rooted in rich soil and growing and fruitful. The other looks the same, but has just been uprooted out of the soil. Which tree is free? You say, oh, it's the tree that's uprooted because it can go wherever, wherever somebody wants to take it. Yes, but that tree is doomed to die. Adam and Eve are free in the garden because they are rooted in a perfect relationship with a perfect God, obeying his word, but once uprooted, they begin to die. Satan comes in and deceives them. Notice his scheme. He gets Eve to doubt God's word. Verse 1 of chapter 3. The servant said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat any tree from any tree in the garden? Notice he doesn't begin with an outright lie. He just begins with the question, did God really say, are you sure you can trust what God says what does your heart say Eve responds to the serpent well we may eat from any tree in the garden from the fruit of the tree in the garden but of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die God never said that God never said they couldn't touch it but you kind of get the sense that Eve exaggerates what God said because she's a little bit perturbed that God would put some restrictions on them. Then Satan denies God's word. Verse four, no, you will not certainly die, he says to the woman. That's not true. What's your experience, Eve? Have you ever seen anybody die, Eve? What do you feel, Eve? Then, he reverses God's word. She's been hooked. Verse five, in fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, you don't need to listen to God. You can be like, don't let somebody else tell you what to do. You're the one who's in authority. You're the one who determines what's true. 
listen to me. I want what's best for you. Listen to your inner voice. What does your inner voice say is best, Eve? There's the strategy. Doubt God's word, deny God's word, reverse God's word. Does God really say husbands love your wives? Does Christ love the church? Wives respect your husbands. Yeah, but have you heard him snore? Does the Bible really say human life is sacred, made in God's image? Yeah, but what about life before the womb? Is that really sacred life? It's my body. It's not God's. And what about rape? Did Jesus really say don't lust? I read recently a priest that said porn is good. Did God really say, in humility, consider others more important than yourself? That'd make me a doormat. I've got to be empowered. I can't let other people power up over me. Satan denies God's, doubts God's word, denies God's word, reverses God's word. Did Jesus really say, go and make disciples? That's just colonialism. Who am I to judge somebody else? I mean, in fact, I know a lot of non-Christians who are a lot nicer than people that go to church. She said, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Doubt God's word, doubt God's word, deny God's word, reverse God's word. Adam and Eve then reject God's truth, verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, and so she took from the food and ate of it. Underline that, good for food, delightful to look at. She was enticed. Her appetite appealed to her. It felt good. You know, one thing about sin, Mike Murray, got to give him credit. He said, if you don't think sin is fun, you've not tried the right sins or you've not tried them the right way. But second, he appeals to her pride. It was desirable for obtaining wisdom. It takes humility to admit that God knows more than you and you are not the authority of all things. That God's word is true and not your heart. Knowledge puffs up. So Eve eats the forbidden fruit and then what she do, verse six, says she also gave some to her poor defenseless husband (laughs) who was with her and he ate it because what else could he do? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. In the Bible, you never once have Eve blamed for this original sin. The blame is, it's always Adam's sin. He's responsible. I think it's kind of interesting. It, it, it took a supernatural being to cause Eve to fall to temptation. It just took peer pressure for Adam Some of you know the powers of peer pressure. If you dare to speak up for God's absolute truth, you risk being shunned, losing a friend. You're struggling right now with absolute truth because you don't want somebody to think that you're not loving. Doubt God's word, deny God's word, reverse God's word. You're immoral if you believe God's word. You are intolerant. You're like the Taliban if you believe God's word. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the, word of God is, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to those who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. 
It takes humility to admit that God's most foolish moment is far superior than our wisest thought. Adam and Eve reject God's truth and everything falls into chaos. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You ever wonder how that conversation must have gone? All of a sudden they realize they're naked. I wonder if Eve just starts laughing at Adam. And he's like, don't laugh at me. And she's like, well, look at you. No, no, we don't want to get into that. And so they move forward and verse 11 says, then God asks Adam, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam's, how does Adam respond? Adam responds in a very manly way. He blames his wife. He replies, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. God, it's your fault. God, you made the tree. You gave me the woman. You gave me these feelings. God, if I'm not supposed to eat from the tree, why should I feel like I need to? If I'm not supposed to eat from the tree, why would you give me a woman who tells me, who encourages me to? God, if it's wrong, why'd you make me this way? God, it's your fault. It's the woman's fault. It's, that, it's nobody's fault. It's just, it was the right thing, wasn't it? They deny God and start blaming each other and husbands and wives have been blaming each other ever since and blaming God and the chaos builds momentum they have children Cain and Abel and Cain kills Abel and the chaos increases they get kicked out of the garden work becomes more frustrating and less rewarding pain and childbirth bodies begin to age and eventually they die and we look in the world today and we see a rejection of God's truth increasing chaos, don't we? It's kind of sad. It's very sad. There's chaos in communication today. Remember in Orwell's 1984, Big Brother uses news speak to twist words and to control thinking. Orwell wrote, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. He said the best way to corrupt thinking is to corrupt language. Once God's truth is rejected, one of the first casualties is language, communication. So we no longer have layoffs today. We have downsizing. We don't have adultery. We have affairs. We, government spending is no longer taking more of your money to do what they want. It is investing in the future. Again, increasing the money that they take from you. Well, let me say it like this. Uh, allowing you to keep money that you have earned by the sweat of your brow is now a tax break. That somehow you are taking from the government. Love is love means sexual sin is good. Women's health care means killing unborn babies. Tolerance means you must accept and embrace and not disagree. Isn't that crazy how we've perverted the word tolerance? To tolerate some, you can't tolerate what you agree with. You agree with something you agree with. You tolerate, you show respect to, you listen to somebody you disagree with and honor them despite disagreeing.
agreeing. But today, if you don't fully embrace some other sins, they'll call you intolerant. In Mama Bear Apologetics, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies, Hillary Morgan Ferrier calls this linguistic theft. She says, linguistic theft is purposefully hijacking words, changing their definitions, and then using the same language as tools for propaganda. So words like love and hate and male and female and marriage and rights and good and truth and justice are all refashioned to confuse the moral compass. And we live in a generation right now whose moral compass is all out of whack because the words have been so changed. And yet John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, the communication, the reason, the logic of God. Understand what it means when he says, I am the truth, the reason, the logic, the communication of God. You mess with the truth of language, you lose the gospel. You lose Jesus. The resurrection no longer means then the physical bodily death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. It just means Jesus' ideas were resurrected. The atonement no longer means that Jesus died as a substitutionary death for our sin. It's just a metaphor for how we ought to forgive each other. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the word. Truth matters but what do you think about truth what are you willing to sacrifice so that you can believe in illusion there's chaos in families as a result when there's so much chaos around family should be the answer but what is the family today there was a time that everybody used to know families a group of people that are related by blood or by adoption by marriage, but modernity rejects biblical definitions. Marriage today is defined by people who love each other. That may be, that may be opposite sex, maybe same sex, maybe polygamous marriages. A family is defined as people who share the same goals and values, can be cohabiting couples. There was one judge that said six college students on a vacation constitutes a family. For him, but the rejection of that kind of truth leads to chaos and children pay the price. You know what Barack Obama said? Barack Obama said um, the best family for children to grow up in is one man, one woman for a child. According to recent surveys, 18% of households in America feature one man, one woman with a child under 18, 18%. We don't have a political problem in our nation, in our world. We have a truth problem. We have a family problem. We have a church solution. And again, children suffer the consequences. Studies show that when children grow up in household with chaos, there's poor social, emotional functioning, cognitive development, academic achievement, and behavioral problems. Single parents struggle against all odds, and loneliness becomes epidemic. I read recently that 50% of adults 
say they're lonely, and 80% of young adults between 18 and 24, 80% report they're lonely. Isn't that kind of interesting? What's God's solution for loneliness? The family, marriage, the church. And what is our generation rejecting in, more, in greater numbers than ever before? Biblical marriage, family, the church. The value that my grandparents' generation had on marriage and family is mocked at by many today. We have chaos in government, not going to deal with that, but where if there's no truth, how do you govern? There's chaos in education. If there's no truth, what are we educating in it? If you're not educating young people in truth, what do you educate them in? Propaganda, lies, somebody says. 2 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6 says, describes people this way. Overwhelmed by sin and led astray by a variety of passions. That's what we have um, uh, called existentialism, our, our passions. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's what Malcolm Muggeridge years ago called. You know what we do? We educate ourselves into imbecility. There's some things that are so stupid only people with high degrees can convince themselves that they're true, he says. And so we abandon truth. And as a result, we have generations that assume all choices are equally valid, all lifestyles are equally good, all religions are basically the same, all cultures are basically equal, except Western culture, any culture that believes in God, the God of the Bible. And, and we educate children who, can't, and who have lots of knowledge, but they can't answer the most important questions in life, like who is God, and who am I, and why am I here, and what makes life important? Why is there meaning for my life? And what is right and wrong? What does it really mean to love? And what happens when I die? Now you say, Brett, you're kind of painting a negative picture. What are we supposed to do about this? This is what you need to do. Come back next week where I'm a lot more positive. <laughs> but I want you to know, oh my word, we're gone. We're, time's gone. Okay, the, God's not done yet. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says, God says to Satan, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between the offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, although you strike his heel. Theologians call this the proto-evangelium. It is the first declaration of the gospel, the good news. As soon as they sin, God waits not a second to say, I have a plan to redeem mankind. I have good news, and I am at work. Psalm 11 asks, when the foundations are destroyed, what should the righteous do? The righteous return to God in his truth. And we remember, Satan is ultimately defeated. His head is crushed. Live according to the truth. And so my challenge for you today is rededicate yourself to stand firm in the truth of God. Truth is not determined by emotions or experience or opinion or government authority. It is determined by the character of God. Be holy as I am holy. Truth is determined by the character of God. Not by your feelings. Not by popular opinion. 1 John 5, 3, this is love for God, that we keep his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. Recommit yourself to God's 
word. The Bible is sometimes called the canon of God, the canon in Greek. It is a word that means reed. The reed was the measuring stick of something. You want the Bible is God's measuring stick for what is true and what is not true. Everything gets measured against the Bible. Recommit yourself. Even though even though that's becoming less and less popular. I talked to a guy from Mississippi yesterday who said, Brett, the thing about Christians in Northern Virginia I'm seeing is to be a Christian in Northern Virginia, you have to take it seriously because it is not culturally accepted anymore. Don't be like the factory worker, the factory owner. Factory owner who set his watch every day according to the jeweler's clock in the window. And one day he noticed, the factory owner noticed that the jeweler's clock was off by 10 minutes. So the factory owner goes into the jeweler's clock and says to the jeweler, your clock is off. And the jeweler says to the factory owner, no, my clock can't be off. I set my clock every day according to the noon whistle at the factory. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they lack wisdom and behave like fools. Isn't that something? Behave like fools. Where's your truth come from? Modern education? College? New York Times? Washington Post? Pundits on television? Friends at the office? What those people say, those institutions that are around in a hundred years from now, their clocks will be changed in a hundred years from now because their morality will change. But there is a moral clock that is absolute and his name is Jesus Christ. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Don't be misled by varied and strange teachings. I am the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will set you free. Recalibrate, rededicate yourself to living by the truth of God's word. Abraham Lincoln used to ask children, if you call a tail of a horse a leg, how many legs does a horse have? Call the tail on a horse a leg, how many horse? And the children would say, well, five, five legs. Abraham Lincoln would say, no, only four. It doesn't matter what you call the tail on a horse. It doesn't make it a leg. The horse still just has four legs. Doesn't matter what the world says about truth. God's truth is still the truth. So Dallas Willard says the most important question we need to ask, the first question is what is real? What can I count on? The question Jesus asks is, or the uh, the Pilate asks is, what is truth? You know the sad thing about Pilate? He asked the very same question you're asking right now, and he didn't take the question seriously enough. He didn't have the courage enough to answer it correctly, and as a result, he crucified Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now the question is before you. What is truth? How will you respond? How will I respond? His truth never fails. Heavenly Father, um, would you do your work in us right now? Whatever that means.
God, we come to you as flawed people. We don't claim to know all truth. We don't claim to always be right. In fact, those of us who are old enough to know better know how blind we can be and how foolish we have been. And so what we want, Lord, is to come to you and to be a people of humble repentance, saying, Lord, we don't know the truth, but we know you are the truth, and we want to know you, and we want to seek you, and not just ourselves, and not our, and not our culture around us. And we don't want to know truth just because it makes us smarter people, but because we want to love you and love people the way you've made us to love. Oh God, do your work in us right now. Through Christ I pray, amen.